Why, hello and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. And my guest today is Mike Scheidt. We're going to talk to him about the illness and the surgery that he underwent, the new Yob record, and let's get right to it. And I'm very excited to bring on my peer pressure guest for today. Mike, are you there? I am. Mike Scheidt is here. How are Hi. you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Very good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. And, and uh, thank you so much for making the time and coming on to the, the radio show. There's so much to, um, to talk about. And I know that Yab is coming out with a new record and a, and a tour. And you had some stress in your life about a year ago, I guess you would say. Is that about mm-hmm. right? Um, can you tell the listeners what was going on for you? Um, yeah, well, I, um, at the end of 2016, I had been, uh, we'd just gotten back from, or rather, we just gotten back from tour, and I was having some stomach issues that got really, really bad, and I went to the doctor, and they did some tests on me and determined that I had uh, what they call diverticulitis, which is a intestinal disease. And they'd given me a little bit of of instruction on how to deal with it, and I was on my way. And then we did a run with neurosis, and everything seemed fine, though I kind of did have just a little bit of, of you know, kind of discomfort the whole time, but in January, I had an att- another attack of it that was significantly worse, and it went from being worse to having like this mortal sense of dread in a moment, where initially I thought that maybe I would go to the doctor the next day if I hadn't felt better. 
And that went from that to we should probably go to the ER in about an hour's time. And then when we got to the ER, it took them probably an hour or hour and a half to get me back to see a doctor. And at that point, I actually, um, the pain was so bad, I totally dissociated from my body and they had to put me on the table and put me into a gown and do an IV and I was gone. Uh, I had left my body at that point. I was like floating in a, a DMT styled universe and um, and I hardly remember that uh, part of things and certainly don't remember being in the room and don't remember. I was aware but I was aware in this this kind of mystical pain experience and um, hmm. long story short they you know they told me that uh, if I'd waited indeed until the next day that I would have died um, and they wouldn't have been able to save me and they felt like I was probably even just a couple hours away from them not being able to save me and when they started me on antibiotics it was kind of like okay we're starting on antibiotics and you need to go to the actual hospital right now. And um, so they admitted me there for three or four days, and I appeared to be getting better, though I hadn't had any food. They'd done a CT scan and saw that there was a hole in my sigmoid colon. Oh. And um, and so, but, you know, they were doing these quick CT scans just to kind of gauge if it was getting worse. And they didn't see it getting worse. And the way they were gauging it was by how much air was inside my my body cavity because the air was coming from that hole. Oh, and wow. so like I would, so I'd lay down and I'd feel pain go from the bottom of like you know my lower stomach all the way up to my chest, like you know watching bubbles in like a bottle of shampoo when you turn it upside down. Yes. And they go to the they go to the top. Oh. Well, that my, my entire air cavity, my entire body cavity was filled with these bubbles and um, causing a lot of pain on top of everything else. And But that seemed to be getting better, and they, and they were going to discharge me, and I would come back and have uh, what they called a more elective surgery versus an emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. Emergency, emergency surgery would have been many, many, many months of recovery and potentially a permanent colostomy and um, and this way it would be less likely for any of that and um, so they gave me some soup to see if I could handle food and I had a seizure from oh. the soup and uh, then they basically rushed me into surgery and the surgery was going to take three hours, and it took closer to eight or nine hours. And because uh, I was just so messed up, but the surgeon, who I'm forever grateful to, Caitlin Clark, uh, she was able to save, you know, a large amount of my large intestine, and uh, I am without colostomy bags. Um, though I did have to have an ileostomy for about twelve weeks, mm. and. Uh, that was the most humbling experience I've ever had. Um, after that, um, I had another surgery to reverse it, and uh, 
and this wasn't public because I didn't want people to freak out, but I caught MRSA in the hospital. And then I also got shingles, which it, the MRSA had attached to the shingles. Ugh. And uh, so I was just hammered on the anvil for a good chunk of time. But, um, you know, I look back on it now and parts of it are pretty hazy and parts of it are still ring real clear and true. And uh, it certainly had a profound impact on a number of things in my life. I am sure. And thank you for describing that, although I'm sure you're sort of getting tired of telling such a gruesome personal story. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do in my music and whatever is pretty personal, so I end up talking about those sort of things pretty often, and, you know, I know for some people it's it's too personal, and mm-hmm. yet for other people I end up getting in these really amazing conversations mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, people who have gone through similar things or people that relate to a particular lyric or whatever it may be, and it's very personal for them. And so uh, we get to relate in a way that that feels generally like it's kind of the way that I want to go through life. So I don't really mind. So relating to people in a closer, more vulnerable way. Yeah, I mean that's our that's our real lives in a lot of ways. Yeah, sure. There's all the faces that we have to put on, you know, to be out in the world, but. It's all being, there's this pilot inside that's steering it all through and has all sorts of pretty intense experiences. So, Hmm. um, yeah, I I like to swim in those waters and anyone who goes there too and we can have uh, those kind of connections. I mean, it's, I don't mind. Yeah. Pretty awesome. And everybody wants to know if you're okay. Yeah, I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. It's not a hundred percent, but... It's certainly better than it has ever been since I got sick, and um, and a lot of good's come out of it. A lot of good. Did you ever have a moment where you were really thinking, like why, why in in a negative way? I don't know you as a negative person, so I so there's a, a whole curiosity going on for me about like. This is like a horrendous thing, obviously involves a great amount of pain and a full, I guess, change or, or transforming in certain ways, a lot of habits for you. I, I guess that it, it's tough, but is there, have you had the moments where you've just been like, you know, like this is just horrible or have you always just been able to handle it as it's your lot to deal with? I definitely had moments where I was, um, you know, it's interesting because the way where I was operated on and, and kind of rearranged and cut up was all kind of in my midsection, mm-hmm. but it also kind of carried into like, you know, my diaphragm and into my, like when I would breathe and how that would put pressure. Um, so there's all sorts of different ways that it could cause discomfort and pain and if I got too negative in my thinking which would then start triggering 
you know, negative emotion, mm. um, my pain would go through the roof. And, you know, if, if a person thinks about, like, when they're going through a time of emotional strife or, you know, intense fear or depression or and how that feels in your body, well, that's where all my incisions were. And so I was forced to, like, recognize my thinking and how I was in a, in a negative thought loop. And I would have to just literally choose something else and get out of it wow. and choose, choose affirmations or choose to, like, watch some TED Talks videos or do something to put my mind on a positive track. And when I did that, my pain would go down. Interesting. Um, so it was like this forced Rinzai Zen master with a stick that wouldn't allow me to get lost in negative stuff. Because, and, and as a means of survival, it wasn't like a Hallmark card, you know, ch- you know chin up uh, sort of thing. <laughs> um, it was the kind of positivity of like of, a, of survivorship and of really choosing how do I want to use, you know, how, how can I best use my energy in this situation to survive it? And also wanting, you know, hoping to have some grace around it, you know, and, and to deal with it well, because I mean, life's terminal. Nobody's getting out alive. And we all kind of know on some level that something's got our ticket. And you never know when it's going to be. And so here I was going through all this and with the very real thought that, yeah, maybe this is it. Maybe I had my last good day and I didn't know it. You know, I didn't know that I did. And so this is the beginning of the end. So when I was working on music or playing guitar or writing for the new album while I was sick, I didn't really have a, a sense that, of, of a normal process of uh, I will write these songs and then I will show them to my bandmates and if we all will work on what we like and what we all agree on and then we'll record a record and I mean that's my normal mindset and this time my mindset was enjoy playing because there's no given that this is going to see the light of day wow I'm so blown away by the um you're distinguishing that your thoughts and your mood were really affecting your physicality. It wasn't subtle. It was no. It was like putting your finger on a hot stove. It was like cause and effect. Wow. Straight, straightforward. Wow. Um, and I mean, I mean that's it's pretty true, kind of in general, but it had never been hammered that point had never been hammered home quite so succinctly as then. We don't all have those experiences, and, and as much as it's not an enviable place with everything you've had to go through, it is really a... I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's, it's eye-opening in a way that's, that's kind of like, no, you can choose the next thing, and... and look at the good, which is probably what we all should be doing. Not that I want to tell everybody what to do, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, I mean, 
that's the thing too. It can, you know, I mean, I understand when I when I talk about you know things like that that it can start taking on a soapboxy flavor pretty quick. And I, I just I only know in those moments at that time what what worked for me and what what literally changed my experience in that moment of whether it be you know just dealing with my body being in a lot of pain and how my thinking had an immense effect on whether it was worse or whether I felt like I was healing and um and the more that I allowed myself negative thought loops, whether it be fear about the situation or some kind of oldie goldie depression thoughts, because, you know, I've been pretty vocal about depression over the years and, and it's not like that, that's just went away. But when my mind would start going there, next thing I knew my incision sites were killing me and, uh, you know, I'd feel like hot and cold flashes and just all this kind of really scary stuff. And I'd have to immediately go, okay, <laughs> I need, I need to channel this energy, this thought energy into something else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it became part of my pain management. Nice. Wow. That's really, that's unbelievable. So then you had said you've had a lot of the surgery and stuff was in your midsection, your diaphragm. How is singing for you? It's great. Now, I do have to warm up just a little bit more and stretch my entire body, which most vocal coaches will tell you to do anyway, you know, stretch, stretch your legs, stretch every, you know, everything because your your whole body is the instrument. So I have to do that maybe just a little bit more. And um, when I first had started singing again, I hadn't sang in about five months and they'd given me a lot of instruction around being cautious due to uh, potentially herniating any of my insertion sites if I push too hard. Right. And that I could do that for up to a year plus after the surgery. And so I was building very slowly. And I have a really great vocal coach. His name is Wolf Carr. And and he's currently in Seattle. And, you know, I'd seen him a lot. And he'd taught me a number of things and you know, some of which I really caught on to and some things that kind of were over my head and um, but everything that he had taught me that had stuck really just drastically changed my experience of being a singer and my sense of control and being able to roll through sick times on the road as well as good times on the road and when I started having to, you know, relearning how to sing, I had to be very careful how I push on my diaphragm, and but I didn't want to make bad noise, and I, I was just really trying to find ways to start building but not sound bad, and so I started exploring a lot more kind of resonant places in my body, you know, in in my head, and you know, in between my eyes, and in my eyes, and uh, also in my upper chest, just trying to find these different places where I could have some space to create resonance, Mm -hmm. even if I was singing lightly. And then as I continued to build myself back up and got really, now I would have to say, generally, I'm pretty much back to normal as far as being able to sing. Um, I have my abilities that I had before 
they're back, but now I also have all these new resonant chambers and that I send my voice to that I acquired mm-hmm. from rebuilding my voice. In a lot of ways, I'm better than I have been. That's so exciting. So, so are you saying that you are using your upper body as a reverb chamber? Yeah, I mean, wow. it's all this stuff. It's like, you know, feet on the ground, uh, definitely anchoring at the gut, um, expanding the chest, you know, really uh, tightening the abs to hold the breath, compressing the breath out. But then from that, having resonant chambers in my upper chest, making sure everything goes past my throat. Um, mouth shape is important. Soft palate. Hmm. Um, relaxation is important. Um, making sure that the air gets above the upper lip to then the nasal cavity and all the various resonant chambers in your head. And having that all kind of happen at once. And then also being able to control the breath enough to relax enough to be able to place the voice in the various resonant chambers to get the most timbre you can out of any particular octave um, is kind of how it works out. Wow. I had some of that before, but it's just now, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just better. It's stronger. It has more... You know, I mean, I think people will hear it on the new record. There's mm-hmm. just some different things going on. And you had to. You were yeah. forced to to begin with, so you really had to master it. Even if you were playing around with it previously, you really got got good at it. In building it back up, I didn't really, it was like anything else. I didn't know how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, nothing was certain at all. Nothing was certain. It was just being able to work on it was uh, a joy for one because I got to that point where I could work on it but I didn't know how it was going to come back or what stumbling blocks I was going to hit or so all I could do was just be really careful and make sure I wasn't doing harm in the process. How long was it before you picked up a guitar? I was first able to pick up a guitar about six weeks after my first surgery Mm-hmm. And I'd had a couple of ideas that ended up being on the new album. Though I hadn't played guitar in a long time, and I had a 10-pound uh, weight restriction, of which my Monson guitars are all over 10 pounds. And so, and I was very ner- and I had a you know the ileostomy bag and my incisions that were healing, so I was very like acutely nervous about you know, not screwing that up. Brent Monson sent me uh, a seven-pound guitar nice. to play. And so I just had my chair set up next to my bed and all my pedals plugged in and guitar in a guitar stand. And then uh, as much as I felt able, I would just kind of move to that chair and play that guitar. And one of the great joys initially was hoping that I could remember what I had worked on and I did (laughs) and it was like I had never stopped playing it because I've always had this weird thing you know I mean I have a lot of friends who demo songs or they demo all their practices 
and we've never really done that. I've never really done it as a songwriter. I've always kind of worked on things, and if an hour later I couldn't remember it, then it wasn't memorable. And so um, I would just let a lot of things go. So to be able to play and remember what I'd played was great. I felt uh, very encouraged by it. But then on top of that, music just started really pouring out and in very inspired ways. And as time went on, I went from playing guitar in little 15-minute spurts to, you know, within a couple of three weeks, I was playing guitar up to, you know, six, eight hours a day. Wow. On a lot of drugs because of pain. But Mm -hmm. then the whole album kind of took, took shape within within those next coming weeks. Tell me about the new record. So it's called Our, Our Raw Heart. Mm-hmm. And was it written in the same way? Like, is the process the same for you? Or is it, or is this one, has this one been different? Well, once I had the material and was able to bring it to Aaron and Travis, I mean, a lot of the process was similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I write pretty much all the music and all the lyrics, but it's a band process. Like, anything that I write or work on, it doesn't matter how excited I am by myself, um, I bring it to us, and then we become, like, the mirror for the material of the three of us, and it becomes pretty obvious what ideas actually are us, what gets the three of us excited, and what just kind of falls flat. And so anything that falls flat or it, it, it seems like it, it's like too much work, then either it gets put on the back burner or doesn't get used at all. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us then steward the ideas into the songs from there. So in that sense, it was very similar to how we've always worked. Um, when I first was able, got the green light that I could go and have a band rehearsal for my doctor, I told Aaron and Travis that I had a lot of ideas and that they had a lot to show them and that we're all really excited. You know, we went from four, four and a half months before that, not even knowing if we were going to be in a band anymore to being able to have a practice. So there's this like, you know, everyone's so you know, we were ready, ready to get together, and um, I played everything for them, and they both kind of looked at me and said, well, that's an entire record. That's not ideas. <laughs> um, you know, you have, that's, it's been a completely st- structured out thing, and within that time period, we did a lot of demoing and working on the things and really ironing them out. We probably spent more time doing that than on any other album and we've worked on all of them really hard but there's something about this one where we really just carved out everything every single kick drum hit and bass fill and the way bass and guitar worked in certain ways and how the vocal melody would then fit and what jarred against certain other kinds of melodies so that everything really has its own space to breathe and um make sure that that the flow, even in the most weirdest moments, that the flow still had the right swagger to it. 
but you know, one thing that was very different was in this whole process, I barely sang because I was still learning how to sing and trying to retrain my body. So by the time we walked in the studio, I had one song, we had one song that where I had had demoed out some vocal ideas and we all really liked those ideas. But then there were all the other tunes that were just mostly ideas in my mind. And I've done recording enough times in various environments, in collaboration environments where I just had ideas and there was that few hours in the studio and then just go, go, go. And so I wasn't worried about being able to happen on the right things, though uh, it was just one of the greatest studio experiences I've ever had while at the same time being very, very difficult um, to to find my way through this material with body memory and playing it, but not body memory and singing it. And that was different. I've never walked in the studio and not had at least a mumble melody of something. So we're so thrilled with how it turned out. And it was a well, it was a hard fought at moments, but one uh, scenario that we're really excited about. And we had a sense of joy throughout the whole process. Like we, a lot of our practices, half of them were hanging out, catching up, talking, and we'd play. But, you know, our, and our friendships were good to begin with, but they, throughout this whole process, it's just deepened and we're, we're stronger than we've ever been. I'm sure that those guys were really, really scared in terms of your your physical, you know, health for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, they hadn't seen me for a while. And when they first came to visit, I mean, I'd been losing weight on my own. I'd kind of made a decision about a year before I got sick that I had to turn some things around and that I wasn't taking responsibility for my depression and treating it like the illness that it is. And so I had you know, gotten back on a health plan and gotten back on a light dose of depression meds and got a gym membership going again and was turning my life around and it dropped weight and put on some muscle and was starting to feel pretty good. And then I got sick and no one was able to come and see me for a while because it was an acute situation for a while. But when they did come to see me, um, I was about 40 pounds lighter (laughs) than the last time they saw me. And uh, it was a shock. Um, I'd, over the whole process, I lost about 70 pounds. Wow. In three, three and a half months, something like that. Hmm. Ironically, I've kept most of that off. Um, I think I've put on maybe 15 pounds since then. But mm-hmm. I was buying a shirt the other day, and uh, I was like, on the medium? A medium shirt. <laughs> like, this seems, this looks so small. And I put it on, and I was like, oh, well, there you go. I made him sure guy now. There you go. That's cool. So is the record complete? The process is, yeah. is done? It's all done. And it's, it comes out in June? Yes. Who's worked on the cover art? Orion Landau, who did um, Clearing the Path to Ascend. He did the Great Cessation reissue artwork. Oh. He's been Relapse's main layout artist since the 90s, early 90s, I want to say. So he's most definitely an aficionado of artwork and layout. But we've had a, a very good friendship with Orion for a long time, and he is a joyous, 
well-learned, musically astute in his knowledge of music and also, you know, some of the things that we talk about in, you know, various kind of uh, meditation practice and things like that. We just have a lot in common. So, you know, we sent him the new artwork, we sent him the new album, I should say, and we did that last time too. We got him uh, the music and then kind of told him rough ideas of what it was that we wanted. And then he just brings his interpretations to the table and then we collaborate on them and arrive at the, the final thing. And uh, it's just a joy every single time. He really did a great job in this new uh, artwork, too. I'm really excited for people to see it. It's really, really great. I think, if you don't mind, we'll pause here and get to your playlist, and we can come back and talk a little bit more about the record, and you've got an upcoming tour. But you are here as a as a guest DJ as well, and I know the listeners do really want to <laughs> hear what what's been affecting you and what you find interesting now. So... Um, could you introduce a song for us? Sure. The first one I have on my list is from True Widow, and uh, the song is Flat Black, and it's off of their first album. And I love True Widow. Um, they have this... The, the way that they use space and atmosphere... I mean, it's very straightforward in a lot of ways, the way that they write. It's kind of like this almost, like if ACDC was somehow funneled through Mozzie Star and like the earliest Smashing Pumpkins, but on 33, and it just has this really stripped down, vibey atmosphere, and uh, I, I just really love it. And the guitar tones and the restraint and the drums and... It's just, you know, um, I forget their singers' names, but they both have just wonderful voices, and uh, their music has really kind of stuck with me. Um, I got to meet them once at Roadburn, and I'd missed their set, but hung out with them some, and we just had a great time hanging out, and I'm, I just look forward to being able to get to know their material more and more, because I'm, I'm really hooked. Nice. So my uh, my very special guest today is Mike Scheidt, and the first selection on his playlist is from True Widow. This is called Flat Black. Stay tuned.
We're back with Mike Scheidt. Mike? Hello. Oh, hi. So two songs there. You you did sort of pre-announce True Widow. Will you talk about the Cathedral track for a bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, Cathedral is really part of the reason that Yob even happened. And, you know, in the in the early Eric days, you know, Eric Records, where they were just turning out endlessly good albums oh, yes. um, at that gorgeous crux time like 88 and 92 um, of just so much happening and being a huge fan of Napalm Death and from enslavement to obliteration and mentally murdered and and then you know Lee Dorian left Cathedral and started this new or left uh, Napalm Death and started this new band Cathedral I of course rushed out and bought you know Force of Equilibrium and wasn't really sure if I liked it. Um, I was going to ask. You know, at the, so different. At the time, I was 20 or 21, and I just hadn't made the leap. Like, I loved Lex Sabbath. I loved Trouble. I loved Candlemass. Cathedral was, like, taking that and then infusing the heavier kind of death metal-esque qualities, too. Like, this was not, like, 70s throwback anything. This was heavy new, slow, it was something different. And so I wasn't sure if I liked it. Um, I went to go see a Grind Crusher tour. Oh, yay. And I think that, yeah, and I think that was in 92, this particular variety, and it came to Portland, and it was Brutal Truth on Extreme Conditions, uh, Cathedral right before they put out Soul Sacrifice, Carcass, on Necroticism tour and Napalm Death, Utopia Banished. Nice. And so Brutal Truth played, and of course, it was astounding. Cathedral came on, and I just kind of went to the back of the room, like not really being very interested and was just hanging out with friends, um, until they started playing. And I went from not being interested to within about 10 minutes time being at the front of the stage and they blew my mind so totally that uh, 
I was kind of like on fire for, I don't know, probably years really after that. Mm -hmm. And I started playing differently and my wrists started getting slower. Uh, I joined the Cathedral Fan Club, which at that time they called the Cathedral Coven. Yes. And they sent, and they sent out a cathedral patch and a seven inch that was one side was Electric Wizard Demon Lung. The other side was Our Haunted Kingdom, which is pre-Orange Goblin. Uh, the song was Aquatic Fanatic, which was then released on Frequencies from Planet 10 on the first uh, Orange Goblin album. Mm -hmm. And then they sent out a magazine called Reflections of Doom, and it was Lee's fan zine. And that's where I learned about uh, Revelation, Pentagram. You know, these things weren't on my radar. So I just started digging into all of this music, and that really was the beginning of me. It was just a matter of time before I started trying to do my own band. And then shortly after that, Sleep, you know, Sleep's Holy Mountain came out, and uh, and I was pretty much done for at that point. <laughs> done for in a good way. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and the song Enter the Worms uh, off of the Ethereal Mirror album, it's just such a great, great, great song. It's heavy, but it's immediate, and its flow is great, and the way Lee sings on it is just, man, he's a vocalist, you know, a, a stylist. A, a, he has a lot in his repertoire that he will throw at it fearlessly. And, um, you know, even, you know, I have friends that don't like when he tries to sing and he's out of pitch and, but to me, it's just like, I don't know, it's just the spirit of adventure and just throwing everything at it. And I respect that tremendously. And I've applied that spirit to my own vocal stylings. And um, they just really are a band that I return to without fail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got, he's got the toolbox and really yep. pulls out everything. Excellent choices. So we talked a little bit about uh, Our Raw Heart, your next release. Is this the first release that you've done with Relapse? It is the first release that we've done with them where they have everything. So they're doing the CD, digital, vinyl, the whole thing. Oh, so you have dealt with them on, uh, on different media yes, releases? They, they did the vinyl for Clearing the Path to Ascend. They did uh, the reissue of The Great Cessation, and they also did the, reissue, the vinyl reissue of uh, Catharsis. So, so we've worked with them, I don't know, it's probably five or six years now maybe, but, mm -hmm. um, but this will be the first time in, in the full-on sense. So then you're, you have a tour scheduled, which is very yep. exciting, with the Mighty Bell Witch. Yes. How are you approaching that tour? I mean, it's, it's a month long, and yeah. you've got 25 days, 25 dates in that month. Yeah. Um, I'm approaching it by taking care of myself now and making sure that I'm as strong as possible going into it. Um, there are some things that I've found that I have to do a little differently, some of which are great and just le lead to a better tour in general. Like my, my drinking, for example, is very minimal on tour now. Mm -hmm. um, and these, these days in general, 
and that makes for a better singing voice. It makes for better mornings. <laughs> it makes for uh, better loadouts for me. Uh-huh. And it's not having to do it while being, you know, some degree of, you know, inebriated. Not that I ever, in the last number of years, got that hammered or anything, but just taking that out of the equation is made for a better tour experience. And so there, there are things like that. Obviously, I need to, you know, I have to be careful with food and staying hydrated and, and these things. Um, some things that I have to do now that aren't my favorite, I can't hang out quite as much as I used to, like be out in the crowd before the show. You know, I just grew up in, in punk, and where I want to be when a band is playing is in the crowd. That's where I want to be, side stage, you know, back of the venue uh, in a green room. That's not really where I want to be. You know, if I have to go to the green room to stretch and warm up during a band, then that's just part of a routine that I have to do to do a good show. But now I kind of have to guard my energy because I'll sometimes hit these weird walls where, and it's new, where all of a sudden my body just says, you're done. And it's not like, you know, historically, like being at a really long work day where I'm like really tired, but you're kind of getting through it. This will be like my brain shuts off, my body shuts off. I start getting this sense of like, I have to go somewhere and go internal and lay down or whatever. My body will reset. So to me, the most important thing on, on the tour is take good enough care so that when we're on stage, that we can give everything and that that is where my energy gets spent. And then after the show, then it's easy to hang out, you know, and I'm already warmed up and I can sit down and, you know, anybody that wants to talk, we can sit and talk. We're probably going to hire, which we've never really done before, some extra help, like carry things and set up gear and try to lighten my physical load a little bit. Um, And it's, it's because we haven't gone out this long since I've been sick, we don't know how I'm going to do. I really dislike it. I really just, I feel like I'm, I've always kind of felt like the, the day I can't carry my own gear is the day that I should stop. Like this kind of punk thing, you know, but it's like also like. Well, really, and you're getting better though. I am getting better. Yeah, you've and got I can to. carry all that stuff, but it's more yeah. like for the long haul of a tour, just making sure that at no point have I pushed myself to the a place where I would have to leave the tour, you know. Um, That's even more so punk. Right. You know, the, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, we need to make sure that everything's in place so that we can show up and do what we love to do at our top ability. To me, that does sound punk. That's like, I'm, we're going to take care of it, and, and there's no excuses, and the show will go on, and you need a little bit of help right now. Yep, I do, and it's and it's humbling that's uh, kind of been a theme in this whole process is having the rug pulled out from under you and your control or what what a person thought of as control is now gone Hmm. and then you know just really having to dig deep and decide what kind of experience I want to have put my energy towards that experience when you say control were you trying like when you had been diagnosed with uh, diverticulitis but you said you were trying to sort of keep it at bay yourself is that your way of control well i mean i think that's what you know anybody who has it 
or has dealt with it. I mean, yeah, that's you know you you're, you're doing your best to to avoid surgery and avoid you know out attacks of mm-hmm. of the illness. Um, I think my sense of control within that. I mean, I still was up walking on two legs and two arms and eat good or bad food and have whatever kind of mindset or emotional state or whatever. And after I got sick, any of those things that I would normally just kind of take for granted all of a sudden became acute choices Hmm. towards does this help me heal or does this help me hurt? You know, the example of having an ileostomy bag. I mean, the only control I had in that was how well do I take care of it. The fact that it's sticking out of my gut and and my dehydration is like being in a desert. I was just because my large intestine was blocked off, so the reuptake of fluids, the only way that I could keep enough fluids was to drink water nonstop, which also meant that the bag was going nonstop. Right. And I had to change and I had to change it three days a week and it's just, you know, anyone who's had it knows what I'm talking about. Talking about it too much starts to get into the TMI yes. territory. Yes. But, um, but, but undeniably, when we're talking on the subject of control mm-hmm. and what a person thinks that they have control of, there are things that can happen that all of a sudden the illusion of control becomes very, very, very apparent. Mm. And then the control then is, how do I deal with it? What, what, in what spirit am I going to deal with this? And I found that what spirit I chose to deal with it had a, if I chose it in a certain way, my healing was better. If I didn't, it was worse. Mm-hmm. And asking for help is a, is a really a gift that you can give others because humans always want to help. It took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. Um, even in this process, you know, I've, I've, uh, when the GoFundMe was set up and, and I was sent a lot of support in a lot of ways. People sent me books, sent me personal messages and letters and gifts and the GoFundMe. And whenever we played shows and people will come up after the show and say, thank you so much for playing here. And to me, I've always felt like, well, yeah, thank you. I mean, we, you know, lots of bands are touring right now. And just because a band is out on tour with an album on a label, it's not a guarantee that people are going to come to that show. And so the fact that people come out, like to me, that's like the miracle. And so I always feel like I like we're in debt to the people who come and see us. And in the process of being ill and having to be in a place to accept help and understand that I was being helped because people wanted to give back to us and wanted to give to me and wanted to keep that it was I don't know I mean it was phrased to me in a number of ways it's hard to talk about because um, I still kind of struggle with it I guess but I think um, having to learn how to accept help was uh, and continues to be uh, an immense teaching Mm. we can all totally vibe on that it makes sense and yet I know personally it's like I love helping people, and you probably yeah, do me too. too. Of course. It's like yes, people absolutely. love to teach, people love to help, but it's the asking and the, the, 
the the real the rawness of saying I can't do this myself. I wonder if that is if it's like an admitting your ego telling you like no you cannot say you can't do that. <laughs> well, and there's you know I carry around and maybe it's from depression I I, I don't know but kind of a, a a core sense of unworthiness that is like a weird reverse narcissism <laughs> and uh, that I've realized in this process like I've realized that like there's a point where modesty is like neurotic and it's, it's no longer actually modesty it's like a ego trip but in a, a opposite direction of being the cool guy it's being the uncool guy I think that's a punk thing well you know it I think there are there are points about it that are positive and then there are points about it that cuts a person off from living a good life and in communion with uh, the people around them and being part of a spirit of reciprocity that just naturally occurs when people are are feeling like they're part of a whole. So I've had to learn how to accept those gifts. And, and obviously with the example being, of course, if it's my friends or if it's somebody that I care about or not even that I care about, just something that I hear about that's like, wow, I just feel compelled to be a part of the solution to this problem. That is, like I said, it's, it's an ongoing lesson for me, and it's been a very, very good one. It's made me more gracious with people when they're being nice to me. <laughs> like, and not awkward and wanting yes. to argue with them about, you know, Yes. Don't mention me in the same sentence as these people. Those are my heroes too. It's just it's just was so messy and awkward before and now I can kind of be more gracious about it and it just feels better in general. And I'm not insulting anybody's intelligence because they're telling me something they want to tell me and so I get to actually hear it. Yes. Coming right off of those words, is there any advice that you would give your younger self in in terms of reflecting on what people say to you? Um to, to accept the gift of the fact that another person cares about you enough to want to help and to receive that gift and then to also steward the gift. And so you steward it by applying it and making the situation better and then with that, that sense of Having been helped, having been part of community, having become stronger in the process, then that allows, in my example, to be then to write a new record, to be helpful out in the world and helpful to my friends and, and give it back. And this circle of support continues. Really, nobody helps if they don't want to, really. I mean, nobody just goes out of their way to tell you, how much they care if they don't want to do it. So it's it's an incredibly joyous, rare, wonderful thing that shouldn't be taken for granted, you know? Nice. And then, so tell us something that you are say that you're very good at. Hmm. Um, I've gotten better at just being myself, I guess, really. Um, and I've become more at peace with that and you know within that sure I, I play guitar all right and I sing to the best of my ability and I'm I'm very good at I think flowing with 
different kinds of personalities and trying to make a, a situation better. Um, I'm also very good at uh, self-deprecation. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, and, and I'm very good at tearing myself down if I get into the right frame of mind and I can do it sometimes for years at a time. And so part of the process of being ill and coming back from it and just having this sense that really, it's not even a sense, it's just a fact, a knowledge of fact, like the difference between reading about a strawberry and tasting a strawberry. I've tasted the strawberry of mortality, and I know that time is not a given, that life will go on, but not necessarily or definitely not in this form, you know, this form that is the name I was given at birth and what I do is not going to go forever. And so I really felt like whatever lessons that I want to learn in this life and whatever kinds of experience that I want to have that I haven't had yet, it's not like I'm rushing out frantically to get those things done, but I am very much present and reading, meditating a lot, and staying in close contact with my my friends, uh, reaching out to my kids regularly. Um, you know, they're all grown up now, so they're all running around, you know, doing their thing, and I just make sure that they know I'm thinking about them, and, uh, and just trying to live as good a life as I can, and knowing that when I almost hit the deathbed, that that moment, I'm going to come back to that moment. And between now and then, I want to make sure that I'm living well enough and have dug deep enough that I can meet that moment with grace. That's what I hope for. Hmm. And that I've done, I've done good along the way, and anything that I've done that hasn't been so good in my life, that I can antidote that with being better. I know I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm not really worried about that. I'm worried about just making sure that life is well-lived, that it and any kindness that I experience or come across is not taken for granted. I got that. That's kind of a weird, weird, long-winded answer to your question. I barely even answered your question. I don't know. No, but, but, but you did, and, I, and you're working through it. Um, and my, my request for you is that you lighten up on yourself. Just. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> We're going to your, uh, your playlist. What do you want to start next with? Let's take a look. I guess I would go from here to uh, Savages and the song Adore. Savages are kind of a, they're a new band to me, but um, I've, listened to them quite a bit and watched uh, their live footage, uh, their live things that they did on uh, KEXP. And um, I just, they're so passionate and present. And the song Adore, it just has such this incredible sense of, of immediacy and passion. And once again, space, the way that they use space, I just really love. And when the song builds up and builds up to the final kind of crescendo, it's just a, a wondrous thing. Nice. So my very special guest is Mike Scheidt. Here is 
uh, Savages. Please stay tuned.
am back with Mike Scheidt. Mike, are you there? I am. Hello. So you just gave us a wonderful set. We talked about savages, then we went to Towns Van Zandt, neurosis, and suffocation. So if you could uh, get us up to speed and talk a little bit about what your choices were. Well, neurosis, enough said. The song Water Is Not Enough, the last tour that we did with them, that's off of Giving to the Rising, and it uh, was a song that they had brought out and was playing on those particular group of shows. And, you know, their discography is so vast that for whatever reason, that song had not quite been on my radar. And um, seeing them play it live a number of times, it was just such an incredibly powerful Powerful moments every time. Not that there isn't ever not a powerful moment with neurosis on stage or in recording, but there's something about it that really just struck me profoundly, particularly one show that we did to them in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, where they played that song. And it really has stuck with me. And I've returned to that album quite a bit um, since those shows. And I go back and forth on which neurosis albums are my favorite because there's just so much there to, to dig into. Towns Van Zant is uh, well-documented how much he's loved. A songwriter, songwriter is what some would say. That he could be blower-heavy with just the acoustic guitar and his voice and his spirit and poetry and how just authentic and deep it ran still runs when that music is being played uh it's just never ending in my awe of of his music so there's that and uh suffocation uh that song torn enthrallment that's off of the pierce from within album which i have been listening to for the last probably three weeks on like almost daily i've been listening to that album and uh I don't know, top five favorite death metal albums, probably, maybe top three, maybe top, maybe my favorite death metal record of all time. I'm not sure. You have to ask me on the day, but there's not a dull, out of place, overplayed moment. Um, And what I mean by overplayed is, you know, every, there's a sense of economy and urgency on that album that never lets up. And Frank Mullen's voice and the way that he sings, because he is a singer, you know, he's not just the guttural one, one line death metal vocalist. He has all these different ranges within his death roar and the way the fluidity and the way that it comes out of him is just so powerful. His death roar just brings, I get goosebumps even talking about it. I saw them at, uh, uh, Maryland Death Fest in 2012, they were playing outside in the parking lot, just leveling the space. They were so heavy and tight, immaculate, and they were having a good time. Nice. Frank Mullen, his connection with the crowd, he's having a good time. Uh, they're all having a good time. They're not busy being, you know, overtly any particular put on metal vibe, you know, it's like they are it. They are the heaviest band on that festival at that particular time. They're just naturally it. And then within it, 
there's this sense of triumph and joy and just, uh, you know, it's so good. I really like that band. Frank Mullins, one of my favorite singers of all time. When I do Death Roars, it's some combination of his influence for sure. Nice. Very cool. Have you written anything for a solo? Right. I'm working very hard on solo music, as a matter of fact, and I have so many different ideas about where I want to take it mm-hmm. that I'm trying to I'm trying to iron it down to a direction. And it might be that I'm going to need to have like three solo records, and they'll all come out all at similar times because I'm having a hard time nailing it in. Um, I have a bunch of things I'm working on that are kind of on the solo acoustic realm. So it's like singer songwriter, mm-hmm. but I've also been playing bazooki quite a bit, and I'm having uh, a bazooki that's uh, being made for me by uh, Phil uh, Phil W. Crump in uh, in the Bay Area, or, or he might be in uh, Northern California. I'm not sure, but uh, but I'm really enamored with the bazooki. I'm a huge fan of Daniel Higgs and his work with banjo or David Eugene Edwards and his work with banjo and just that sense of like freedom in playing like drone instruments and writing songs, but then being able to go off road at any given moment. And, uh, um, and I really aspire to that kind of freedom within my own solo work. Um, but I wanted to do it on a different instrument, um, than the people that are inspiring me. So I, chose the bazooki and spent a lot of time when I was sick actually working on bazooki. So I know that that's going to come into play somewhere on the acoustic, on the solo music, but I also have a lot of originals that I've been writing that I feel like are kind of geared more towards like an electric environment where it's going to be more in pitch, like at a rock and roll kind of pitch, you know, like a, maybe a D standard and perhaps less distorted, perhaps with keyboards and drums and perhaps something that's also very sparse and wide open, you know, true widow is certainly an influence. Uh, some of the black angel stuff would, I would say would be an influence. Uh, certainly, uh, Neil Young and crazy horse are an influence. So I don't know how that's all going to play out. A lot of Depeche mode I've been listening to as well. So it could be something very far out and weird and who knows, but, um, I'm not afraid to try new things, and uh, I feel a lot of different kinds of music right now that isn't Yob or my other projects related, and uh, I definitely want to see all those things through. Nice. The last time you were on was not that long after your solo record came out, and you did you, you talked quite a bit about what it's like to play solo when you know there's no safety net, and you sort of can't just hide behind volume and and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on doing solo touring? I'm definitely going to. I've done some. Um, though, I mean, I've been playing solo since, I don't know, probably 2012 maybe or 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, it's only been in the last year that I've started to feel actually comfortable doing it and not been so hard on myself about it and letting letting the moment just really be and uh, not having a bunch of narration in my head as it's going along. I've had a lot more joyful experiences playing solo as a result and felt a lot more comfortable in going into 
kind of uncharted territory. I have a new piece that I do live that involves vocal loops, and uh, I have a Tibetan rattle and a singing bowl and some bells, and it's all stuff that I put on loops, and uh, then I'll intersperse like throat singing with it, like Tibetan style throat singing and various mantras and then but also then singing in English over the top of it and so just really trying to do a lot of different things with the solo music and create spaces that are hopefully interesting to climb into but even if no one else is listening and I'm playing for a hundred people that that I'm now the jukebox and they're talking over me that's fine too because I'm working on this stuff and so in a way what better place is it you know like I don't have the requirements for uh, how a crowd's supposed to be or how it's supposed to be received or anything like that any of my fears around being bad or sounding bad are much less and now it's more just about the exploration and figuring it out and doing it how I would like to do it and trying to happen upon my own personal expression that uh well that my heroes have found theirs and so you know it's not about trying to be them but it's trying to find out what is it in me that could could be my own and unique and and something that feels like medicine to me like i I have to do and so uh and i'm I'm getting there i'm getting there and i'm excited about it Cool. Yeah. I mean, if you have no expectation for how it's going to go, then you're really just treating it as a learning experience. Yeah. I mean, I have my hopes, you know, but then of course. the moment. Mm-hmm. And so in the moment, um, you know, the path of the hero is you just go through it and you give it everything you got. And there's good shows and bad shows and highs that you didn't see coming and lows where you're like, Oh, that was interesting. Uh, however, that happened, and but just but just let it go, you know, and keep moving forward. And uh, I've embraced that more and more as I do it. And so, uh, in fact, a lot of my solo shows that I've done, I've taken on lately. Like lately, I've taken on last minute, barely rehearsed, rehearsed one time, got on stage and just did a thing. I think I'd like to do some solo shows in the future that are a bit more rehearsed, but I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it more in those times than at other times where I just rehearsed to the ground and then picked apart every single thing that I didn't like about a set. You know, that just doesn't, that's just not where I'm at anymore. Yeah, that's cool. That's really great. There's a, there's a lot of play and adventure in there. I like yeah, that. it's fun. Then it becomes fun. Then mm-hmm. it becomes like, oh, hey, I'm surprised too. You know, um, <laughs> look at me. I might play it a song. <laughs> wow, it, that went pretty good. <laughs> For your tour, um, are you going to be using the guitar that they that Monson made you, the lighter guitar, or are you back with your regular? I'm back with my regular ones. You know, and and I'll, I have that lighter guitar. I'm like looking at it right now, and uh, yeah, I'll I'll keep that guitar. You know, forever. It is symbolic of a time, and I'm sure I'll do some project with it. You know, Yab is keeps talking about doing a bunch of covers, and we also want to do like a, a death metal EP. Nice. Um, just you know, in our own, we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, other than we want to do it, 
and that guitar that Brent sent me is like literally the perfect guitar for it. Mm. So um, I'm excited to apply it to uh, to that project. But yeah, my main guitar, my number one favorite one, which is the zebra striped top with the black walnut uh, back and hard rock maple neck through, and I currently have a bare knuckle uh, black dogs pickups in it and i've done a lot of kind of work on it to like really get it to the way that i it's really become streamlined to what i do and how i how i feel but like when i play that guitar it's 12 pounds Mm. so it's i mean that's like significantly heavier than what a person would normally think of as even a heavy guitar yes but when I play it, I just, I'm not even thinking about the guitar. I'm not struggling with the guitar. I'm not busy. It's just a part of my, just, I just play music with it. And that's, you know, if I had to stop playing that guitar somewhere down the line because it's too heavy, okay. But um, I will have to get exhausted to the point that there's no other choice because I love that guitar that much. It's much better just to lift weights and stay in shape and work out, and then the guitars, I don't struggle with it. You know, it's no problem. There you go. They have that. Just looking at their website, they've really got some amazing models. Yeah, I've I've been very, very happy uh, playing his guitars. Uh, And he's been immense. Him and and his wife, Stephanie, have been just an immense, immensely good friends and good support. And can't say enough good things. Well, Mike, I want to really thank you for making the time. I think we'll have time for maybe one more song. But... um, Thanks for being so open about your situation and everything and for taking taking on exactly what's happened to you and saying that it's that it's perfect like that it worked there's there's you were talking about not feeling sorry for yourself and I get that I get that you're rebuilding and you're really psyched and uh, that that shows and there are many of us that are really psyched with you well, you know, part of that, part of that's my my own, you know, the, the force of life in our in that we all have. I mean, but part of it's that I can take credit for, and and part of it it's also really given to me too. Getting through this whole endeavor was uh, my experience of it was very communal um, in times where I couldn't do things for myself, and so it's my deepest hope that our shows coming up and our new album that it really is received with the gratitude and that it was created in and that it's something that we can share and uh, it wouldn't have existed um, at all if I hadn't been helped. And so uh, it's part of the circle is what I hope mm-hmm. <laughs> part of the circle. And the um, what's the best website to find out about your tour and and your happenings? Well, there's um, there's a couple of them. There's I mean the Relapse Records website for sure. Also our our band page, the Yob Facebook page is is updated and current on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a website called uh, yobislove.com. It's a funny thing we never really came up with that phrase Yab is love but it's something that's come back to us so many times from so many people that when we're looking for domain 
<laughs> that one was wide open. We're like, all right, mm-hmm. that's it. I saw that used as like a hashtag during the um, the uh, the benefit shows for your medical. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Mind-boggling. Um, <laughs> it is. We're there for you, really, and we get that you're there for us too. You know, it's pretty awesome. Lucky, we're yeah. I'm lucky. So thank mm. you. So, what song would you like to go out with? Yeah, that's a good question. But I think I'm going to choose. Uh, I'm going to choose Dinosaur Junior. Ocean in the way. I've been a Dinosaur Junior fan for a really long time since you know the late '80s, and I'd kind of lost track of some of the what I consider to be later records in their discography. Mm-hmm. But I happened upon the album Farm as I was starting to kind of try to turn my life around and take, you know, take my depression and turn it into something that I was making into a positive, some positive decisions and dealing with it. And I spent a lot of time putting in miles on a sawdust track near my house and um, I listened to Farm probably every time that I ran for, I don't know, six or eight months. It was on repeat. And uh, it's just such an amazing album from Dinosaur Jr. So great. So many just wonderful songs. His soloing is out of this world. His voice is great. Just everything's just exactly what you want from Dinosaur Jr., for me anyway. And the song Ocean in the Way is just so beautiful and lovely, and I never not feel good when I listen to it. Sounds like a perfect going out song. Thank you, Mike Scheidt. Thank you yeah. so very much. Today has been really wonderful. And Yay, thank you. And thanks to Mike Scheidt. Their website is yobislove.com, or you can check their Facebook. Yob is spelled Y-O-B. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to hear the full songs from the playlist, you can go to the WFMU website and search March 22nd, 2018, Mike Scheidt on Diane's Kamikaze Fun Machine. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze, Farris, Rocker for Life and Making a Difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org slash playlists slash dk. That's a capital D and a capital K for an expanded version with lots and lots of music, wisecracks, and fun stuff. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of old interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org. And be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.